Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. And welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network coming to you. From the Finger Lakes of New York, I am Brian Gervis. With joining us from the Jim Plunkett Studio, Greg Klein. Uh, good to be here. And by the way, yes, I love technology. Yeah, yeah, Brian from Buckle the, in, uh, folks. It's from the uh, Bird Sanctuary. There um, dropped out <laughs> like thirty seconds before we went on air. That's why we do it live, John, Tim. This is the excitement, and you've only got a couple more to go. So our next, this is the penultimate show. Yeah. The penultimate yes, show. Yes, Jimmy Braswell made it a point to remind me of that today. The penultimate show. Not to be confused with the Pennsylvania show. That's a that's a different thing. Um, Greg, gonna why miss, don't we are, People are going to miss this level of comedy. I mean, my God. Where will you get this level of comedy in the future? Perhaps at the... Uh, uh, we do have a sponsor tonight, we do have a Greg. Sponsor. Why don't you go know, ahead and run that beautiful bean footage? We're going to get there. Just relax. Relax. That's what she said. Tonight's show is sponsored by Rob Seyfrith for Congress. Here's Mr. Seyfrith. My name is Rob Seyfrith, and I am running for the Republican nomination with Congress, seeking to represent the 3rd Congressional District here in Maryland. I'm running as a Republican because I believe in the Republican Party platform, but my goal is to be your man in Washington. I want to be there to serve your interests, not D.C. insiders. My goal is to empower you to take charge of your own lives and make your own destiny, not to empower the bigger government. My name is Rob Seifert, and I approve this message. Thank you, My Rob, name is for, Rob Seifert. Sorry, Rob. We'll sponsoring tonight's we'll show. Yeah, I only paid for three. Run, run the other one later. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Just uh, the we do have a lot to talk about here tonight. The election uh, is June 2nd, by the way. The election is June the 2nd. The ballots are out there. You, yours must be postmarked. By or handed in by June 2nd. Isn't that correct? That's correct. Next Tuesday. It is correct. Has to be postmarked by 8 p.m. next uh, next Tuesday, June 2nd, received within 10 days after the election, or deposited in one of those nifty boxes, yeah. uh, collection boxes all around the county, um, the or all state. around your county, wherever you yeah. are, on uh, by June 2nd. Correct. And, uh, Greg, have you submitted your ballot? I have not. I have not. I will submit it. I will take it. I, my plan is to fill it out, to sign it, which you must do. Please make sure you have a signature it. on it. And then I will. I my plan is to take it to the Savannah Park Library collection okay. uh, thing. That's my a plan. collection thing. That's a technical term. Yeah, um, it's a box. I don't know what do you call it. Collection. It's, it's not really a collection center. box. Yes, it's just a box. Yeah. <laughs> what's in the box dude votes that's it what's that's all box, it's in there dude what's in, what's the, in the box, box is your name but not mine vote right. um there you go. so we've also got we're also going to talk about calvin ball obviously and uh but we're also of course going to talk obviously about because we pandemic. stated we stated in the in the show that we stated in the show notes and then the promotional for this that we were going to talk about so we will be talking about it, it would only be obvious yeah. to you um, if you had looked at our post and saw what we were going to talk about. And honestly, why would you not have not looked at our post and see what we're talking about? This is going to be one of those shows, isn't it? I got to tell this is already off of the rails completely. (laughs) Completely. 
Uh, you know, and and like I said, Brian <laughs> dropped out right beforehand, so I have no idea what the technology's doing. He's got a totally different setup and and um some sort of bird sanctuary in the Finger Lakes. Where are the Finger Lakes of New York? I'm not from New York, as many of our friends. They're are literally the Finger Lakes region. That's that is literally descriptive. That is the region. It's the Finger Lakes region. What is that? Is that Buffalo? Is that Albany? What there are know? lakes. If it's we're about it's, 75 I don't know from New York. miles east of Buffalo. How many I'm sorry, how many miles? You have had to have been to New York State. Seventy five American I haven't miles been New to New York State. I'm saying that I've not I don't recall ever going to the Finger Lakes of New York. It's a large state. It's a rather large state, actually. People forget. It is the second largest state, I believe, east of the um East of the Mississippi, behind what's the largest state east of the Mississippi, Greg? I, I have Illinois, Georgia, Georgia. Okay. Did there you know that? No, obviously I didn't know that because you just asked me and I got the wrong answer. So I've been to Georgia. That's true. Georgia, I've been to. It's going to be that kind of show. It's going to be that kind of show. Anyway, let's talk about the pandemic. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. We're getting it squirrely. So We're almost the near, governor. Yeah. So next to last show, the this, delay, this delay is awesome, by the way. We've never had this problem. Before. Yeah, it really it's is. Gonna I don't know great. what's going on with that. Brian. Why don't you set it up? Um, so the governor yesterday obviously had a press conference where more restrictions were removed. The biggest restriction um, that conti- that was removed was the ability to dine out. You will now have the ability to dine out at a restaurant outside with appropriate social distancing. Correct. Um, I don't know why anybody would want to do that, given all of these other factors and circumstances, but I know a lot of people are all ginned up for that. Um, also, the governor up. is allowing summer summer camps to open, and the governor is, uh, is also, they're also allowing pools to open up to 25% capacity. Right. With additional restrictions, right. I have no idea why anybody would want to sign what a swim in a public pool while there's a pandemic going on. But fair question. whatever. Um, fair of point. course, all of this kind of now has has to go to the county level because the counties still have restrictions in place, particularly our county, Anne Arundel County. The the governor and, the governor as he's um, done before the governor as he's done before has allowed the localities to have, you know, to make their own restrictions within that as well, to approve, to sign off, to make changes. And and he did that before the first with the phase one opening. He's done that now with the end of phase one opening. We're just making stuff up. Um, so, yes, you're correct. So county by county, these things are, are still different. So go ahead. I interrupted you. I was just. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, like you said, in Anne Arundel County, Stuart Pittman has literally no idea what the hell he's doing, um, which, to be honest, is most of the time. Um, because he is still waiting to determine if we can go to phase one, because in the last week, Pittman has said, we're going to phase one June 1st. And then he said, well, now, and 17 hours later, he said, well, we can't go to phase one quite yet. The numbers don't add up. Then yesterday is like, well, we're still deciding whether we can go to phase one or not. And, you know, Pittman is, is one of many who are 
just pissing in the wind when it comes to decision making. I think that for the most part, I mean, Pittman's issue, of course, the fact that the guy is a wealthy horseman, he has no concept of bureaucracy. He has no con either as he has no concept of being an organizational leader. He's not somebody who has led people. He is not somebody who has led a business. He is not somebody who has met payroll either in the public or private sector. And he's just fledgling along as, and like, like he's lost, like a lost puppy looking for a stick. And, you know, the problem is, of course, this creates mass confusion. First off, it is creating mass confusion that counties are kind of doing their own thing, each individual thing. And we'll talk about Calvin Ball in a few minutes. But Pittman, in particular, has made no effort to definitively announce when phase one is going to start so things could open up even in a limited manner. I, I agree with you that it does add to the confusion uh, when the governor announces something and then the localities are doing something different. Uh, I think the governor put that in there, as he explained in his press conference the other day. We talked about last week. It was probably a smart political move uh, because what a lot of these Democratic county executives wanted to do is have it all on Hogan to make the tough decisions and then they could just snipe about it. What he did was he said, I'm willing to open it up. If you want to join me, it's on you. If you don't want to join me, that's on you, too. So I think that was smart. Um, but as the governor pointed out yesterday, or yeah, yesterday, seems like a year ago, it was yesterday, in his press conference, some of these guys, and I think Stuart Pittman is definitely one, um, are just kind of freelancing it. You know, they want to they wanna just have their own opening plan rather than simply deciding whether to what parts of the, the governor's reopening they want to be a part of. They're just, and, and Stuart Pittman's a great example where he's looking at other statistics and he's looking at other things and mark elrich in, in montgomery county is looking at total cases or something which is insane um you know I, I i think it does add to confusion it adds a lot more of the political element to this i think to some extent it makes sense in places like prince george's county where you have much higher cases and rates or whatever yeah montgomery county too i mean montgomery county and prince george's county are the hot spots but I think it also Maryland, I think it also allows the governor to do two things. It allows the governor to move faster to reopening. He basically showed his hand and said, look, next week we're going to phase two unless something really, really bad happens. I would expect next week that we go to phase two. Um, he can move faster. And instead of doing a regional thing, he's letting those. Re he knows he knows that Western Maryland, the Eastern Shore, parts of Southern Maryland are going to want to go faster. They're going to want to go as fast as the governor will let them. Hartford County, right. places like that. So he knows they're going to do it. And if other places don't want to do it, it's on them. And and um, so, I, I again, I know it adds a confusion. What's, what's frustrating is that these localities, and especially Anne Arundel County and Baltimore County, which, as the governor pointed out, their infection rates are dropping or below the state average um you know their statistics in all those locations are going down too there's no reason for them to be slowing down there's no especially here in Anne Arundel County there's really no objective measure that we should be going slower than the state is you can make that argument in Prince George's or Montgomery but not here in Anne Arundel and then to just do kind of slapdash and we'll talk again we'll get to Howard County here in a second to kind of slapdash and just rewrite the whole thing from the beginning gets you in all kinds of trouble 
is is really dumb and it's just these these democratic county executives trying to just assert their own authority and at some point i i you know i understand why the governor's doing what he's doing it's probably smart politically practically it makes some sense um but at some point he's just gonna have to say look it's done i'm not gonna let you guys dick around with this forever either you're gonna come along to where we are now um or or you know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna you know rescind the orders and then you don't have any legal authority to do this stuff um so so we'll see and i I mean, politically, that's going to be problematic for the governor because he did pump the decision to them in the first place. So politically, yeah, but if he's at a but, problem, yeah, but if he's at phase two or phase three, and you got somebody dicking around with some part of it, you know, like you know, Stuart Pittman doesn't want to open parks. Okay, um, I think the governor can just go and say, "Look, everybody's at stage one now. I let you, I let you tinker with it for a while, but now we're all moving on to stage two. You can decide how fast from there." I don't know that he's going to do that. I agree with you, Brian, but I think some of the some of the hint from the press conference yesterday was he wasn't real happy with some of the uh, s- some of the dickering that was going on. Um, and if he gets to a certain, you know, if the, if we start getting too much of a disparity then I think there is going to be some closing on that. And I think he did that in part, the kind of the kind of oots, these other counties to at least get into phase one reopening. And I think we saw something from Montgomery County, I think subsequent to the governor's announcement. So, and I think his addition of this new statistic, which is based on the additional testing that we're able to do of this infection rate, which, I, look, I'm, I'm all in favor of reopening. You know that. Um, we'll talk a little later about the Gonzalez poll. Let's move whatever you got to do to justify reopening. Do it. But the fact is, if you start testing more people, if you start, if we, if we were only testing people who were symptomatic and exposed to people with COVID, we're going to have higher infection rates than when we start in, than we start doing just general anybody who wants to come in and get a test, whether they're symptomatic or not, whether they've been exposed right. or not. Of course, it's going to be lower. So I don't know how much that statistic actually means anything. Um, it's probably more true of what the actual infection rate is within the population as a whole. And the other one probably wasn't worth a whole lot either. But I'm saying, you know, you're you're just playing with numbers at that point, um, which is why the deaths and the hospitalizations and the ICU things, you know, it's kind of that old thing um, from the wire. You know, you can't hide the bodies. You know, you can game the stats, but you can't hide the bodies. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the well, day, me, that's still the one say- that matters. Let me say this about that, because obviously uh, coming up this way, uh, I, you know, I've been able to experience stores that are open, uh, you know, places that are open in Pennsylvania, in New York. OK. And there, people, for the most part, are doing their best to stay mindful, keep their distance from people. They're wearing their masks. Generally speaking, they are wearing masks even when they're outside, like they're in a parking lot or something like that. People aren't being dicks is the point that I'm getting to with all of this. Okay. And this is where some of our friends who are raising holy hell about masks becomes part of the problem. Okay. And I know we're going to wrist slap some of our friends here because a lot of people are making this political statement about not wearing a mask. And 
I got to tell you, if everybody wears a mask, things are going to be better. Not just from the perspective of you're not, you're less likely to get somebody ill. If, if somebody else wears a mask, they're less likely to get you ill. But also, if you're not going to wear a mask, that gives everybody the heebie-jeebies about reopening again. Okay? So wear your GD mask, and things are going to be okay. There are tons of things to protest with legitimacy. Being asked to wear a mask is not one of them. Yeah, well, we, we, we've covered that. I don't think there are that many people. I know. Really I, just, I just want I, I, the point being is that... In there's, these places, it's getting done, and people are doing it, and it's not a problem. Yeah, I, know. I think there are more people writing about it on Facebook than are actually not wearing the mask in public. At least that's been my experience. Sounds like it's been your experience, too, so I don't think we need to be dead horse. Now, yes. let's talk about um, one of these counties. You wrote about today, uh, Howard County uh, introduced some new guidelines and specifically targeted places of worship. Yeah. Let me have you set up what happened, because you got a piece at Red Maryland today about that yeah so on tuesday calvin ball the democrat at howard county executive put forth put forth his restrictions that were or his um his reopening plan which includes restrictions obviously and i believe that goes into effect tomorrow and the restriction that got everybody including my you know attention was the ban on the consumption of food or drink during uh, you know, during religious ceremony. Right. Now, obviously, I'm a Catholic. Greg's Lutheran. We both do this in some form or fashion. Um, Greg's, I, I believe it's 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 bread and wine for us. It's the body and blood of Christ. Um, no, no, but now, now, now don't. Let, I mean, if you want to litigate just, that, we can litigate it. But don't speak out of ignorance because you're wrong about that. I'm not going to litigate against the litigator. Good. We we consume the body and the body and blood of Christ too. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. That's what he said. That's what it is. We don't try to explain it through some physical process. We just accept Jesus at his word and leave it at that. But it is a physical presence. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Transubstantiation is real. The point being, um, my piece at Red Maryland um, speaks obviously of my Catholic experience. Greg, I, I can give you a moment here in a second to uh, to to explain the Lutheran experience, but you can't have a mass, period, without somebody eating something. Okay, that's part of the Eucharistic celebration: is that the priest consecrates the bread into the body of Christ, consecrates the wine, it becomes the blood of Christ, and the priest eats it and drinks it. You can't have a mass without. The with, without those two things happening, without the priest consuming those, you can have a mass without the public distribution of communion. That's fine. That has been done um, previously. That's been done recently. My church, as I wrote about um, on my piece at redmaryland.com, our church has been doing live streams and only the priest has been consuming. But it literally, if the priest doesn't consume the body and blood of Christ, you cannot have a mass. Greg, how does that work with your experience um, you know, as, as a Lutheran and in your Lutheran services? Well, let me say a couple of things before we get into the details. The, the point is, the main problem here is that this regulation was not some general regulation of, of things in the county. This was a specific regulation 
of the exercise of one's religion. And specifically, the county was outlawing uh, the distribution of the Lord's Supper. That was clearly what was contemplated here, okay? Uh, when, when they targeted, and even though they, it applied generally to every religious observance, that it was still targeted at religious observances. So this was a regulation Correct. of the free exercise of religion. This was not, this, was, this was not, let me finish my point. Sure. Let me finish my point. Um, because I think this is more important than getting the nitty gritty of how this denomination or that denomination does it. I'll, I'll explain all that. That's fine. But the point is, you can go to any uh, drive-in in Howard County, and someone can hand you food and can hand you drink, and you can consume it. That's always been legal, okay? This made it illegal, and, and, and when we had restrictions that said no place can have more than 10 people in it at all, whether you're a Moose Lodge or the church, same thing applies. That's a different kind of regulation, though it may impinge upon the free exercise. That's a different argument. This was right. a specific regulation that criminalized, because there were criminal penalties attached to it, the distribution of food and drink during religious services, which clearly was targeted at uh, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Okay. That's why this was so insidious and so disgusting and so wrong because Calvin Ball, who I know listens to the show, said very nice things about us on the Elevate podcast. He enacted uh, regulations that were targeted, that made a policy decision on how people exercise their religion in Howard County. Okay? That was, that was horrible. It was wrong. It is the clearest violation. And it was put forward by people who have predominantly secular progressives who view religion as something other than sincere form of expression that needs to be uh, protected. That's how we got this regulation. Protected expression. Well, it is constitutionally protected. Obviously, they weren't worried about that. But this is something very different than some general, um, general regulation for health and safety. This was specifically At targeted. That point, Greg, let me, me, let, let, me wrong, finish my, let me finish my point because I'm not done yet. Sorry, sorry. Um, so that's what made it insidious. Now. I, I had people who tried to say, well, it's implied to all religions equally and different denominations, as Brian points out, handle it differently. You can have um, this is true in the Lutheran Church, Protestant Church, Protestant Church. We can have a religious service without celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion. OK. Um, either the pastor or the, you know, the congregants or whomever, we can do that. We can, we've had a debate within our congregation and whether we can have communion even while we're broadcasting. I don't think you can. My pastor would disagree. Let's not get into that. <laughs> the point is how we deal with um, the distribution of the elements, the consecrated elements of the Eucharist is inherently uh, a religious expression which is guaranteed to be sacrosanct by the state and federal constitutions. It's not something that county apparatchiks, some county health commissar, should ever even begin to think about forming regulations about under any circumstances at any point in time. This is what's so horrible about this. So, um, so yeah, we could have a service and not do this. We could do other things. We could have it... We could have it um, 
we could bless the elements and have cups rather than a common cup. We can, we can do all that, and we can decide that individually. But the point is, nobody in the Howard County Department of Health should be telling my church or your church or any other church how they conduct their religious services, period, full stop. Correct. And that's what this was. And I understand they walked it back, and, and you know, I, I understand it was some, some input from the faith community, particularly um, the Catholic folks who, who led the charge on this, which is great. But this, is, this, is, this was so insidious, it's, and, I, and I pointed this out on Twitter, and then I'll give it back to you. One of the most insidious things about this entire pandemic response is how government has felt obliged and empowered to regulate the um, to regulate the free expression of religion um, in in clear violation of our constitutional rights. And while there is some legal precedent for that kind of intrusion under general provisions under extreme circumstances. This went far beyond that, so far over the line, so far beyond the pale, and it is part of a secular progressive movement. There was an article in the New York Times months ago we talked about that blamed, you know, churches were a big reason why these diseases spread, but it is being pushed by people, and I'm, and, and I'm not accusing Calvin Ball, I don't know what his religious affiliation is, but I know the, the secular progressive movement that he's a central part of view religion negatively. They're not faithful Christians, certainly, who understand the importance of and the value of um, that sacrament and understand that whatever disease it might carry, what's in that cup and what's, what's uh, in that bread is more important than any disease it might carry with it. And to deny it to anyone under any circumstances for any reason is a clear violation of one of our most fundamental, basic constitutional and human rights. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I I, I think first and foremost, you're absolutely right, particularly about the insidious part, specifically the fact that targeted church services above and beyond as you point out, McDonald's or a food service and something like that. Now, obviously, not all religions are affected by this. If just going to use him as an example, he's not going to preach in, in Howard County. If Joel Osteen were there, they're not distributing food and drink. Okay, that's that's a whole different ball of wax. Many religions, many many churches and religious services are just not, you know, distributing the bread and body of Christ or whatever. Um, you know, what, whatever their faith tradition allows. What's just as insidious, Greg, you talked about how he walked it back. He didn't walk it back. If you, if you read maybe what I quoted, his spokesman said, okay, they didn't walk it back because they realized, you know what, we just went a step too far. We realized this was unconstitutional. We realized this was immoral. No, they walked it back in light of Governor Hogan's, this is their reasoning, that Governor Hogan's removal of restrictions on outdoor dining, like that's got some relation, something to do with the distribution of uh, food and drink during a religious service. They didn't even have the guts to admit they screwed up and instead tried to deflect and say, well, we got this new regulation from the Hogan administration. We're going, we investigated it and we're still looking at all the new food distribution regulations. 
it's just a bullshit answer to a problem they should have never created in the first place. And my piece at redmaryland.com points this out. Ball and his executive order and the people who surround him, it's just another one of these this, this misfit intersectionality things where they believe, as you point out, that religion is not truth, that nobody should be entitled to their religious beliefs as they disagree with the progressive world order, and that religion is subservient to the progressive will. The progressive will in this instance was that Catholics, Lutherans, people of that ilk should be denied the freedom of religion. And that's a problem. It's a problem that's not going to go away overnight. We saw this issue eight years ago with the gay marriage debate in this state where people of faith were criticized for believing what the Bible says and believing the word of the Lord when it comes to um, it comes to marriage, to relations between a man and a woman. So we shouldn't, we're not surprised by it. But it's just the most glaring example of government overreach into the freedom of religion during a time of crisis. This is right from the Obama Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste playbook. And it shows the ignorance that many people on the left have about the faith community and about issues of religion. This wasn't it would be it would have never occurred to somebody, I think, even as recently as 20 years ago, back when there were Democrats who pretended that they were regular churchgoers to do something like this. I think and, the and idea. Is, yeah, I think the idea. Of we're, having, way, we're way past the Rubicon on that. I think the idea of having an express regulation that outlawed communion is something that is would have been just unthinkable just I mean, it should be unthinkable now it was unthinkable when it happened it could have it could have but nobody would have even thought of that as you say 20 30 years ago no one would have said hey we've got a you know we've got this disease going around let's pass a specific regulation that says churches can't have communion because that's essentially what it said they put it in terms of and 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 as they walk it back they're not going to admit they made a mistake or that they did something overreaching they're going to try to you know do a two-step and put it in the context of of general food distribution regulations because legally that's what they should have done if it was going to be justifiable and they didn't because i read what they put out and it specifically dealt with places of worship and it specifically dealt with using it as part of the worship you you just cannot have public officials expressly regulating the exercise of religion full stop couldn't agree with you more yeah why don't we go ahead and take a break when we come back we'll talk about the gonzalez poll and then later on tonight we will also preview the tuesday's well, I guess you could call it Tuesday's primary election, but the conclusion of the primary election. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. My name is Rob Seifert, and I am running for the Republican nomination with Congress, seeking to represent the 3rd Congressional District here in Maryland. I'm running as a Republican because I believe in the Republican Party platform, but my goal is to be your man in Washington. I want to be there to serve your interests, not D.C. insiders. My goal is to empower you to take charge of your own lives and make your own destiny, not to empower the bigger government. My name is Rob Seifer, and I approve this message. I've been thinking. 
and I feel like I could be a real asset to you guys. I want to help. What? Wait, wait. So first you wash your hands in politics, now you want back in? That's called flip-flopping, Mac. That's Hang what on. Democrats Hang do. On a Hi, this is Brian Griffiths, the founder of Maryland Podcast Month. Maryland Podcast Month was founded in 2018 to draw attention to all of the great podcasts and podcasters here in Maryland. And during this time of social distancing, there is no better time to start learning more about locally produced podcasts. Shows like my podcast, Red Maryland Radio, Eye on Annapolis, The Conduit Street Podcast, JB's Drive-In Podcast, The Maryland Crabs, Quality Time, The Society Fringe Players, and more are still putting out fresh content. Visit MarylandPodcastMonth.com to learn more about these great Maryland podcasts. That's MarylandPodcastMonth.com. And we thank you for your support of local content. We are back. Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. I am Brian. He is Greg. Good to be here. Good to be here. So good. Our penultimate show. We only have one more show after this. So. Indeed. Penultimate. That's right. That's right. Why is that funny? It's not funny. It's this. This is, this is not been an ideal show. This is not. I'm glad we're not going out on this one. <laughs> Now, we're going out next week after the primary election. But before we get to the, the primary election, let's talk about the Gonzalez poll, Greg. Another Gonzalez poll came out. I guess people are easy to reach right now. They're within reach of their phone or their, um, I guess, their phone, either their phone line or their their cell phone. Right. Um, so the big number, Greg, uh-huh. Governor Hogan gets a 78% approval rating, one of the highest in the country, 78% approve, 18% disapprove, 82% approve of the governor's job performance, only 13 disapprove, 71% Republican, 25% disapprove. I challenge you to find any other governor in the country where the a Republic, a governor of one party has a higher approval rating from the other party. Uh, 25% of Republicans disapprove. Yeah, I'm not sure 74% that's, that's of, entirely good, but it is, it is an odd statistic to be sure. I, uh, yeah, it is a very odd statistic. Yeah. 74% unaffiliated is approved, 20% disapprove, 80% of women, 15% uh, disapprove, um, 76% of men approve, 20% disapprove. Greg, none of that surprises you, right? Well, I think, I mean, I talked about this this morning on WGMD. I mean, if you look behind the methodology and some of the results here, it's it's a little bit misleading. First off, this the polling was done last week which was after the governor had announced uh, for two weeks in a row openings of the economy and moving toward opening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if this poll had been taken a month ago, results might have been different. The, the approval rating is misleading. I mean, the governor came out yesterday and said, oh, 5 to 10 percent say I'm going too fast, 5 to 10 percent say I'm, I'm going too slow. First off, that's not what the Zaza's poll says. Um, the numbers are bigger than that. If you look at the question that was asked, uh, has the have the restrictions gone too far? 
Okay, 90% of Democrats say they're either just right or haven't gone far enough. But a majority of Republicans said they went too far. Oh, like 54% of Republicans statewide said it's gone too far. And that matches up with what we're hearing, uh, with what we're seeing from Republican elected officials who are almost still unanimous in pushing the governor in letters and advocating different different, uh, particular policies for him to go further faster in opening this thing up. So, you know, it's interesting that a majority of Republicans in this poll said that they thought the governor went too far in shutting things down and yet still give him um, high approval numbers. Now, part of that, I think, is just partisan loyalty, frankly. Um, but, I, but I think if the folks in the second floor, which, by the way, looking at how fast they're moving to open it up, I think they understand what's really going on. I don't think they think that the governor has, you know, 80 percent approval. OK, which is kind of what the governor was saying at his press conference yesterday. Um, you know, he's he's been a popular governor throughout. And I think and I think, look, most people have been supportive of what's going on. But Republicans particularly have been wanting to open things up much, much faster. And 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 uh, particularly within the small business community, which is a critical part of that Hogan coalition that we talk about. So, uh, again, I mean, if if if. If the folks in the political shop in the second floor think are doing a political are doing a victory lap around uh, this poll, which I'm sure some of them are doing, just they ought to be thankful it wasn't done two weeks earlier. And they got real big problems within the Republican part of their own base if they care about it. As you point out, Democrats think the governor's doing a much better job than Republicans do, which is. Which for Governor Hogan may be just fine, but if I were running to succeed him as a Republican, let's say, I I might want to kind of work on that a little bit. Just saying. Well, I, I think that anybody, any Republican who may be working in the administration and is uh, and, and would seek to succeed the governor, there is plenty of daylight that one could put in place to between themselves and the governor. Um, particularly if, say, the lieutenant governor were running for governor, and he can say, "Nope, this isn't how I would have done it." The governor, the governor did work this on his own. I was helping do my part to run the rest of the state, uh, but you know, I, I would have done it a different way. I, first off, I don't think he said anything like that, and I don't think he would say anything like that, and I don't think people would find it credible. If not he did. right now. No, okay. it's not the right time to do that. Okay. Why? Why would the lieutenant governor come out and right now and say, "Gov"? You're not doing it right, at least publicly. Okay, there's no I, benefit I, to that. Nobody, I, nobody I, wins from that. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but the point is, if you want to do it yes. credibly, now would be the time to do it. If he does it two years from now as a ploy to get the Republican nomination, it's not going to work. And I don't think he's going to do. It. Look, I, I think, look, I think Lieutenant Governor Rutherford is is a good soldier and he's a loyal guy, and I think the governor does still have broad popularity in what he's done. So I, I don't think he's going to deviate from that at all. I, I think the fact- I also think that with 74 percent of Republicans supporting what they're supporting the governor right now, that the right. lieutenant governor is not going to have a problem they gave him succeeding a- the governor on that particular issue as the Republican nominee. I, I think. OK, well, and now I don't know which side you're arguing, but I, I again, <laughs> again, I don't don't put that approval number as approval of all the policies here. I think that's 
No, I totally understand that. I agree yeah, with I you. I think that's a mistake. Look, when the when the comptroller, I think the lieutenant the, governor is going to have his own problems with the Republican base, based on the fact he was Hogan's running mate, and that you're going to get the hardcore twenty five percent Trumpists uh, who hate all things Hogan are going to label Rutherford with that label no matter what whether or not in the and i would argue that the lieutenant governor is more conservative mostly than than the governor quite frankly i'd I'd Um, love to hear that argument be made but um i I think we're we're talking in the future now we can save that for another time again of course uh, and i think i think there's a certain amount of fatigue that's going on and a lot of it's going to depend on what happens between now and the election and there's a lot that's going to go particularly with districting particularly with where the economy is but if the economy is is still not fully recovered, people are going to look back at these decisions that the governor's made. Um, and if the lieutenant, I mean, look, you got the comptroller coming out and, and saying kudos to the governor. OK, I mean, that tells you a lot right there. Um, I, I think, you know, he, he particularly made a point of applauding the governor for the partial reopening of restaurants for the outside dining or whatever. That seems to be staking out at least the middle and and so of the election. You make a very interesting point there about the economy, because, look, every every Democrat who looks like they may run for governor, Francho, um, Middlebrooks, not Middlebrooks, also Brooks, right. Johnny O, Calvin Ball, all those guys ha- will, will have, you know, a con- if the economy's not up, they're going to have their own economic problems in their own counties some of which being exacerbated by saying closed longer than the state did. So they're going to have problems in their own backyard. If you, if you think that the economy is going to tarnish the lieutenant governor, whoever the Republican nominee is, it's also going to, um, you know, it's also going to be a problem for say Johnny O if he's the democratic nominee, because he's got his own problems in his own economy to worry about. I think that, that may I or think may the, not I think the difference, well. I think the difference though, is that Democrats have a lot of room for error. The Democratic nominee is going to have a lot of room oh, for error. If, you, if, if, if someone wants to succeed Governor Hogan, and I don't know how we swerved into this, but we're talking about it, so let's, let's talk about it. I blame you. Um, the, Ho- the Hogan coalition is, fra- is frayed, and it's not just Trump. Trump's part of it, but it's not no, just Trump. I agree. It's not just Trump. And I think the Gonzalez poll shows some of that fraying, particularly with regard to this issue. I think if you w- look at what uh, Republican legislators are saying, this is a part of this issue. I think, as one of our commenters points out, what's going on with the unemployment uh, system in the state is going to be. Pro- I mean, the fact is, if you're in charge when things are bad, doesn't matter if it's fair or not, you get blamed. It's like the quarterback on the losing team. OK, that's just politics. Yeah, if you remember with the Obamacare website that helped doom Anthony Brown in 2014. So that's an absolutely valid point, especially right. when you consider, uh, I believe, the lieutenant governor was overseeing um, unemployment you know, as far as labor goes. I don't know if that was within the governor's portfolio under COVID-19 or not. Yeah, no, I, I and I'm not pointing that I'm just saying Republican general keeping that coalition together is going to be hard. And there's also let's let's be honest. You look back. Two-term governors in this state have not had the same party follow them since 1994, okay? Yes. And that was a close race. So there's a certain amount of fatigue that sets in, too. We're in uncharted territory with a Republican two-term, and let's remember. So the, the room for error is very, very small for whoever tries to, to succeed Governor Hogan. And if the facts on the ground of the record 
are net job losses at the end of the day if there's not a big success on um, on redistricting, if there's still this fraying over this issue going forward, I think fences are being mended. We'll see how, how well that gets done in the long term. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And oh yeah, by the way, sitting on the other side, maybe the Democrats have learned to nominate somebody who can at least plausibly pretend to be a moderate with tens of millions of dollars waiting to go, which, which would be, you know, uh, Mount Everest to climb anyway. So um, yes. I, I just there's just not a lot of room for error. And I think if folks in the I political agree. shop on the second floor think that think that, um, you know, this Gonzalez poll shows that everything's honky dory, they need to look a little deeper in the numbers. That was the only thing I was bringing up about the whole thing. And, I no, also, that's, and that's a fair assessment. Too. And there was also a question about whether the whether the shutdowns did more harm than good, which is a crazy question in a lot of ways, because you can disagree with how far the shutdown went and not necessarily think it went. So so when you get Western Maryland, where a third said it did more harm than good, that's that's pretty damn. That's like that's like strongly disapproved. OK, so, you know, that's that's significant. Again, if you're a Democrat, that doesn't phase you at all. If you're a Republican um, who's trying to win statewide, that's a that's a pretty big red flag. So I don't think the Gonzalez poll. I, do I don't think the Gonzalez poll is this. I, I think the Gonzalez poll overall, people approve what the governor's doing. We're all in this together. We're supportive. The governor's going in the right direction. Um, but if you if Republicans and, and especially Republicans who want to see someone succeed, Governor Hogan think that this poll kind of shows everything's great then you need to look a little harder that's all i'm saying go ahead yeah um to that point you talked about trump and the the approval ratings for um for trump right and how often have we gotten comments in our polls right that said well the republicans need to have a nominated governor who is more like trump in order to win right once again the data shows that a trump-like candidate running in maryland yeah yeah the, the president gets um, about 35 absolutely crushed it's right, about 35 percent, um, and that's been pretty consistent and you're absolutely right if, if anybody's i don't think there yeah. and i don't think there are serious people who think that we should nominate somebody who's like trump or more trump like to run for governor thinking they can win there's a lot of unserious people who like the governor more than they like or yeah, like the president more than they like central committees some of them are in central committee. Most of them are on Facebook. Yeah, a lot and, of them sit on I Republican central committees. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, so they get elected. I mean, I you know, maybe I know. <laughs> you know, the party supporting again, the president it shows too. the importance of electing central committees. Then again, a, a lot of people in our in our central committee uh, when we did our central committee survey uh, but, back but, during the 2018 election, a lot of them said they would never support a third. They would never support. Somebody who was running, they support a term limit, at two terms to run for office, and then immediately supported the person running for national committee woman for a third term. Okay, but, but, but go back because you're missing a key point. Again, if you want to go back to Gonzalez Paul, look at the numbers. Yes, overall, gov- uh, go- oh, the president's not doing very well. But look at his approval among Maryland Republicans. It's over 90%. Okay, so there's a difference, though, between there's a difference, though, between um, somebody who rec- who supports the president and somebody who supports the president and think that the Republicans need to nominate Trump for go- Trump like Trump like I, I understand there I understand that good I understand that but you're you're saying we shouldn't elect people who are so supportive of the president 
Most Republican voters support the president. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay. All right. I'm saying that we need to elect serious people who can understand the difference between running for president nationally and running for governor in a Democratic state like Maryland. Let me highlight our, our friend Jim Wass, who's the Central Committee Chairman of the of Prince George's County. Hardcore Trump supporter. He is a supporter of the president. He also understands how to actually win. And he understands that, you know, a Trump Republican running at running for governor in Maryland is not going to do well in Prince George's County and half a dozen other places, too. There are serious people who support the president. I don't think we um, disagree on that. Who also recognize how you actually win in Maryland. And unfortunately, too many Central Committee people, Central Committee members are of that unserious camp who think that we have to go tr- full Trump balls to the wall, um, never mind, you know, damn the torpedoes, damn whatever issues we supported before, just Trump, 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 Trump. So, okay. Right. And the numbers just don't pan out. The, the numbers do not reflect that at all. But the Central Committee doesn't nominate, um, the, the Central Committee doesn't nominate our candidates. The Central Committee doesn't get anybody elected. In a lot of counties in the state, the president will do very well um, in certain parts, but it's not going to win statewide in a lot of competitive races. And there are a lot of people in the party who understand uh, who understand that difference. So you're right. But I don't. But again, I don't think the problems that we have are simply a Trump phenomenon. And um, just no, no, absolutely not. Right. No. And I, I think it would be I think it would be political malpractice to think that they are. And I think that that some people on our side think that they are, that it's 100 percent Trump. Trump is part of a symptom. Trump's part of a huge problem. If Trump does get reelected, um, that's the weird just juxtaposition right now for a lot of people is that if Trump gets reelected, a Democrat will get elected governor of Maryland in 2022. That I I'll, I'll take that to the bank. Uh, well, I, but, I, don't, I don't know if that's, you know, I, I don't. I, it, it may or may not. The point is that one of the things we saw in Gonzalez was what we've seen all along, that the president is not very popular. The governor is. There's a case to be made that there's a Hogan coalition, kind of a more moderate Republicanism that can be successful winning statewide. If you want to, you know, you got to get out of your Trump bubble and understand that and look at the numbers that's reinforced. I agree. Yeah. Why don't we take a break and we come back, we will preview the election on Tuesday. All right. That sound good. Sounds good. Let's stick with us. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. My name is Rob Seifert, and I am running for the Republican nomination with Congress, seeking to represent the 3rd Congressional District here in Maryland. I'm running as a Republican because I believe in the Republican Party platform, but my goal is to be your man in Washington. I want to be there to serve your interests, not D.C. insiders. My goal is to empower you to take charge of your own lives and make your own destiny, not to empower the bigger government. My name is Rob Seifert, and I approve this message. Zwoele zomerhit. Klopvaste actua. De leukste cadeaus. Donna. The sound of summer. Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. I am Brian. He is Greg. Good to be here. Good it is here. good to be here, it's great Greg. To be here. The it's great to be here with concludes. a delay. What? It's great to be here with a delay. 
Oh, there's irony for you. I'm I'm playing into the delay, and I uh, I don't even know what's happening. Greg, the primary concludes on Tuesday. I think that's the best way to describe the election that it concludes on Tuesday. Abstention. Um, yes. Yeah. We obviously have a presidential election, presidential primaries here. I don't think that there's any drama as to what's going to happen there in in any of those races, nor with the election of delegates from either party. I think it's very clear that the presidential delegates for Biden and Trump, respectively, will win. Uh, The rest of the the drama, and I use that term very loosely, comes from the congressional races and other local elections like judge and school board. We don't have a U.S. Senate race this year. We don't have state and local races, except for Cecil County. Um, let's start there. Cecil County executive race. The only county level races that are really this year are in Cecil County. A very so hotly tra- contested primary. You're talking about drama on the Republican side. Yes. Okay. All right. You didn't say because you ignored the city of Baltimore, which is going to be the most dramatic elections. But you're talking about Republicans. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to Baltimore. Okay. All right. I just um, wanted people to know we know there's an right, election I, in Baltimore. I, I'm aware. Some people don't realize that. Well, you, okay. All right, um, go ahead. Okay, shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> oh, man. I'll do this and one more time, Greg, and that's it. And that's it. You're out of here. Yeah. Um, I think it's very clear it's a two-person race between the incumbent Alan McCarthy and Danielle Hornberger. Uh, it seems like the smart money is on Hornberger. We, of course, ran a story on uh, McCarthy a couple weeks ago talking about his connections to Democratic-controlled PACs and what's going on up there. Greg, uh, you know people in Cecil County. Um, you've seen what's going on on social media and in the news. What's your take? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, we interviewed Danielle Hornberger. She's one of those big Trump people that you have a problem with. Um, but she's likely going to win. I didn't say I had that. a problem with all Trump people. I didn't difference. say I didn't say you had. I didn't say you said that. What I said was she's one of those big Trump people you have a problem with. Um, I don't have a problem with Danielle. Berger. OK. All right. Well, then I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, <laughs> um, Let me burn my own bridges, man. Come on. Yeah, you're right. I You sh- certainly don't need any help from me. Um, so no. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, it will be interesting to see. There's a lot of infighting in Cecil County. It'll depend on who shows up and, you know, uh, I did not cut Brian off. We lost him from the finger legs. So let's make this point. Um, we'll see what happens, uh, with that. I think a lot of, um, this infighting in Cecil County is very much inside politics. People come out and it'll still come down to basic, uh, who do people know and that kind of stuff. Um, so on the Republican side, I don't know if we're going to get Brian back or not. I did not, I did not hang up on him just for the record. This is our second to last show. And I, and I, you probably sent some tension there, but I did not hang up on him. Okay. He's, uh, the internet is not being our friend tonight. We generally love technology. Yes, I love technology. And I don't know if he can hear me or not, but he's, but I'm going to plow forward. So we have these congressional races. Um, I don't think many of them are going to be consequential. By the way, go to redmaryland.com, click on our 2020 uh, election tab. We've got great information on candidates and races throughout the state, uh, including lots of interviews with these Republican congressional candidates. Uh, District 1, uh, we've interviewed Jorge Delgado, and we've had uh, uh, Congressman Harris 
on uh, a number of times. He's spoken at both of our uh, Red Maryland uh, conferences, uh, leadership conferences. I think, of course, he'll win rather easily. Um, the only one that's, I, I mean, there's some competitive ones, and if Brian comes back, he can talk about those. The only one other race that presumably may be competitive um, come November would be the 6th Congressional District, uh, where we have endorsed Neil Parrott, who I, I think will win in the primary. There's other good candidates, and we have information about them as well at redmaryland.com, but I'd encourage you to support Delegate Parrot and read our endorsement of Delegate Parrot that we had there. Um, you know, in a year where Republicans could do well and had chances to pick up, uh, the 6th Congressional District is one where there'd be a lot more tension. I think a guy like Neil Parrot is the kind of, is, is one type of very good candidate that we can get to run for Congress. Uh, but with the gerrymandered districts we have, it's going to be very, very tough. And in an election year where um, Democrats are motivated to turn out, even if Republicans are really motivated to turn out as well, uh, in Maryland, that's, that's a win for the Democrats, as we saw in 2018. And what we've seen, frankly, in a lot of election, in presidential election years. Um, so it's going to be a tough, tough slog. And uh, so we have some other competitive races um, and there's a real competitive race on the Republican primary side. I'm curious to win in uh, Congressional 5 to run against Steny Hoyer. We've interviewed uh, a number of those folks as well. Go back and listen to those. Uh, I think that's one that, that you'll definitely want to uh, check out. Um, some of them are not so interesting or competitive, and I'm not going to throw a lot of shade. Um, but, Brian, you're back with I us. will. I'm shocked. Yeah, my my in laws my in laws Wi-Fi took a dump, so I okay. I am now hot spotting on my keeping cell it classy. Phone. That's this, exciting. This kind of classy rhetoric is what you're going to get at the duckpen.com going forward. Thank I, you, I, Thank you, you know, hang on tight. Go ahead. I'm go ahead. Throw your shade. Um, I know you talked about the first district. I I, I heard most of. That. I talked about the first, about the first and the sixth district. You, go, you feel free to... I think Jorge that. Delgado would be a good candidate under other circumstances in a different race. I mean, he, he's, you know, he, he's just decided to go to run for Congress. And, um, you know, he's, he, he's going to be the latest Republican to not w- defeat Andy Harris in a primary. Um, for some reason, the congressman gets challenged every year by somebody. I'm not entirely sure why. Everybody wants to be a congressman, I guess. Um Neil Parrott's going to win in District 6. You're absolutely right there. He's our best hope to defeat David Trone. Still going to be a tough slog, particularly with Trump on the ballot. Obviously, having Trump on the ballot is going to help turn out in the western part of the district. The Montgomery County part of the district is where things go a little sideways. And, um, you know, things will uh, things will go from there. Have you talked about the second congressional district? I didn't, I didn't catch Not that Not specifically. Part. No, go ahead. And that's yeah, the second congressional, right. yeah, the second congressional district has a lot of Republicans running in it. It's got two elected officials. It's got um, Senator Johnny Ray Salling and right. it's got uh, Delegate Rick Impolaria. You can go to uh, redmaryland.com to read about both. Salling voted for Kerwin. Impolaria has a whole litany of um, of issues that has come have come up regarding him over the years, whether it's his drunk driving incident, whether it's his attack of Republicans, whether it's his trying to meddle in the central committee, whether it's his uh, voting to raise your power rates, all sorts of stuff. Um, Impolaria is there. 
Tim Faisenbaker's running. I know he's taking the day off from campaigning on Monday to go to OAN. He's 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 another guy. Nice guy. Tim Faisenbaker's a nice guy. Another guy who seems like he's at auditioning for a TV gig and not actually running for Congress. Um, you know, Genevieve Morris is running. A couple other perennial candidates. And Scott Collier's running, speaking of TV stars. Um, and, uh, you know, that the winner of that primary is probably going to be Johnny Ray Salling. I don't think it's going to make a hell of a lot of difference in the general election, in all due respect. That district has been gerrymandered since Bob Ehrlich held it again. A Trump turnout will help in parts of that district. That's a lot of blue-collar Democrats still living in that district. I don't think it's going to. Um, I don't think it's going to matter a whole a whole hell of a lot come November. I think there's as Greg some, pointed I, out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, as done? Greg pointed out, most of the rest of the congressional districts are particularly not competitive. Um, the seventh district is just a mess as far as the Republican primary goes. Um, I, I wrote about Kim Klasick and her absolutely knucklehead uh, comment that she made last week, wondering if it was legal for the Baltimore Sun to endorse a candidate in an election and whether it was legal. I mean, I, I, I really was serious when I said I hope that being her, she's just playing stupid and she's not really this stupid. Uh, I can't imagine somebody is that stupid and running for Congress. But I've seen crazier things, too. I've seen a guy, I've seen Ray Bly run for Congress a bunch of times. So, you know, all bets are off. Um, the fifth district has a lot of, has a lot of candidates who can, can be solid. Um, you know, obviously Rob Seifert is our, uh, is our sponsor tonight. There's, there's um, Chris palombi has been on the show. Lee Havis, the friend, you know, so we have a lot of candidates there, but let's face it. Steny Hoyer is going to get reelected in our district, district four, where Greg and I live. Anthony Brown's going to get reelected. John Sarbanes is going to get reelected in three. It's just God's honest truth. Okay. Somebody asked me, um, somebody, somebody messaged me and he said, uh, it's the eighth congressional in the eighth congressional district. What do you think is going to happen? What, who's the best Republican? I don't know, but I was able to send them to our primary election coverage and our candidate right. surveys, right. uh, which is one of the reasons why, why we have done those over the years. That's right. I don't know if you have anything else to add. About look, I think there's some stuff. good candidates. I think when you look in the second con- congressional district, we should um, Genevieve Morris is in there. Am I getting the name right there? Um, I, I mentioned her. OK, um, is 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 someone who's a capable, intelligent, uh, understands a lot of important policy issues. I think some of the set. I think some of those elected officials that you mentioned in that race, it's a chance for them to get their name recognition out and, and do that kind of stuff. Um, th- there's always the question, these races are so gerrymandered and the deck is stacked against these guys, uh, men and women who are running for Congress. Is there any benefit in running and being the nominee and doing something? Well, um, I mean, you, you can make an argument that there are some benefits. You can make an argument that toppling any incumbent is not a one, um, is not a one cycle project, uh, but it's hard for people to run for Congress time after time. And I think when you look at, you know, the folks who get who have been recruited, um, I think a couple of these races you have, as Brian pointed out, you have some good candidates. I think Neil Parrott, as I mentioned before, is a really, really good candidate, not just because he's an elected official, but because he's um, he's bright and articulate and hardworking and, and understands the community and understands the issues. Um, and I think guys like Johnny Ray Salen can do some of those same things as well. Um, some of these other kids, but you also get people in there who, you know, don't have any name recognition, who aren't raising a lot of money. Um, you know, I, I know you're not, a, I know you're, you've made Kim Klasick a project of yours, but 
the reason she's been the nominee and probably will again is because at least she's out there getting people know her name more than the others. You know, I hear some of these yeah, other candidates. It's a name ID race, yeah. But that's important. I mean, you can't. That's the first threshold. Well, You're not a serious primary, candidate. Yeah, but yeah. Well, it's you, okay. But they're not going to vote for you. And she's she's been competitive fundraising. If you look at some of the reports with her opponent it's it's again you're telling it windmills with a lot of this stuff um but you don't see a lot of these congressional races where they raise six figures and she's at least done that i'm not trying to defend her necessarily i'm just saying you know if you if you're doing something that people know who you are that's an important that's the important first step to ever get elected to somebody for congress if you're able to raise money and get your name out there one way or another that's how people get elected to Congress um, and and the deck is stacked against them. So there are some candidates that are better than others. And sometimes that's a that takes a longer term project. And there aren't a lot of people, you know, we I, I know we've had our criticism of Dan Bongino. But one of the things Dan did was he ran multiple times. You know, he ran wherever there was a race, didn't have to live in the district. I think we've learned that people don't really care that much about that kind of stuff. Um and but he was able to build a name record. He was able to build a donor base and a volunteer base. And and so his last race. But that was the thing. He actually ran a serious campaign. He yeah. had the volunteers. He had the donors. He had right. a plan. Yeah, and I'm not sure any of these people have a plan. Well, I think so. I look. I think Neil Parrott does. And of course, with the with the. I'm I'm not talking about. Well, I don't. Six you, is you just say these people. Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm making a general point well, about which about candidates in, are good in the non-competitive races. I don't think any of them are really competitive. That's the point that I'm making. Um, I'm not even sure that the six is ostensibly the most competitive, but I don't know that it's that competitive either. Uh, long story short, if you want to have good, you know, if you want to have good candidates, we have to do a better job of supporting them. If you want, if you want to be a serious candidate, you're going to have to work at it. If we're ever going to make it a serious effort, and short of some redistricting reform, frankly, the state party's never made it much of a priority. Um, and so you get the candidates that you get, frankly, if, if we're not going to commit as a party to supporting a candidate to beat these people, and we're just waiting for somebody to jump in the pool and swim by themselves, really good candidates aren't going to waste their time doing that. And the people who are willing to do it extensively when it comes to running for like attorney general, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the know, same thing. Statewide races. It's the same thing. And I know people get frustrated. Oh, why isn't the state party promoting these people? Well, <clears throat> You know, it's it's a, it's a strategic decision that that they're going to put the race up. Now, let's talk about some other some other races on the Republic. Or, I mean, we'll get to the city of Baltimore. I guess we'll end with that. But yeah, because I think that's the one that's going to be the most interesting coming out of next week. We do have a number, not just here in Anne Arundel County, but a number of competitive jud- judicial races. Um, yes. So let's talk because those are significant as well. Now, the way that those work is that you can win either Republican or Democratic ballot and then make it to the fall. So what the what the incumbent judges like to do is win, be the top, however many there are on the ballot, two, three, four, whatever, five, whatever it is on the ballot, both Republican and Democrat, and then they sail to November. That's that's what they try to do. And then for challengers, all they got to do is get through maybe just on the Democratic ballot, maybe just on the Republican ballot, and then they're on in the fall. And it might be, you know, five out of six or five out of seven or something. 
or two out of three or whatever it is. Um, so I'm curious to get your thoughts, particularly on the one here in Anne Arundel County. I, I, I've always been supportive of competitive judicial races. I know the bar isn't. Yes. Um, but I've always been uh, in support of that. Um, and I think we have some interesting competitive races for judge. I, I think that uh, I, I think it's always interesting because, you know, it, it, it's interesting because you always kind of see both parties kind of coalesce around the sitting judges, no matter who nominated them. Uh, it's been very rare where we've seen the um, you know, it's been very rare where we have seen one party or the elected officials of one party back the judges back a challenger judge i mean we've seen it before we saw it here in Anne Arundel county in 2004 with judges getsky and harris we saw that in i believe it was 2012 when judge asty was elected um i can tell you um i've would, never but... been a fan of the judges slates i've never been a fan of the idea that the judges are uh, basically immune from dealing with like addressing the issues. They've always had to, um, you know, they've always had to kind of pit putt around actual issues, which is an advantage to them and a disadvantage to them because the challenger in Anne Arundel County case, Wes Adams um, can, uh, you know, can talk about these things and the judges cannot, uh, which again is an advantage and a curse to them as well. I know for a fact the, um, that the four judges that were appointed, at least one better qualified judge was not appointed. Um, I know for a fact, his initials are GMK. Um, so, uh, you know, I, that's that's disappointing and kind of leads me to vote for, to, to choose to vote for Wes Adams and single shoot Wes Adams. Um, but I agree, competitive elections are better you should notice that every time that the issue of of the election for judges comes up, that the establishment types, the media always laments the election of judges. And that should clue you in on why a competitive judicial election is important. Yeah. And now I'm going to maybe say some things that are, are controversial, though I don't necessarily think they are. But, um. The, the judicial selection process that we have is uh, it is touted as being this uh, almost objective, non-political um, evaluation by really smart experts on who is qualified to be a judge. Uh, I've been through that process. I know a lot of people who've been through that process. I know people who've made lists and have been nominated and are on the bench and people haven't. Um, the folks who sit on the nominating commission, they're political appointees, okay? They're not necessarily political hacks, and some of them, frankly, here in Anne Arundel County, are big Democrats. You want to know why I'm doing this right now <laughs> and not running for election as judge? That's a big part of the reason why. Um, but there are, there are always lots of people who apply. I think everybody who applied is qualified. The reason that the organized bar likes to keep that process to themselves is because they control it. Okay, you know the 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 one of the three women's bar associations have great input into who gets selected as a judge, much more than you do as a voter if you don't have competitive elections. Now, 
it's interesting in this race particularly. Look, I think all the judges that were appointed are qualified. Okay, I think there were other qualified people who who uh, were who were who went through that process as well. Okay, it is it is not it is not it is subjective. And in fact, as someone who's gone through the process, you're never told why someone was selected and someone wasn't. There's no objective criteria. It's completely subjective. Right. It's very secretive, and you don't know why. Um, one person gets chosen and it's another. And if you don't think there's a lot of politics involved, you're, you know, you're being naive. Sadly, okay. mistake. It is an absolutely a political process, which if you're the president of a local bar, okay, the local, you know, if you're president of a local bar association or you're on the MSBA panel that has evolved in judicial selection, you want to have that control, okay? You want to be doing that. If you are on that nominating commission, a lot of whom appear in front of these judges later on, um, at that, which is not a coincidence, um, you want to be in control of that process. And you want to support the people who've gone through that process and have won. And you'll be very unified in that. And, you know, um, <clears throat> I think Wes Adams is every bit as qualified to be a judge as the people who are sitting on the bench, which is not to denigrate them in any way, some of whom were his deputies at one point in time. So I don't know that qualification really is the issue. Um, and I understand that the judges are limited by ethical to talk, ethical considerations to talk about specific cases or whatever. You're right. They use that as a shield and a sword. Okay. Right, wrong, or indifferent. The bar hates judicial... They hate popular elections of judges because they want to control the process and they don't want the public to do it. They hate them. Okay. I, I had conversations with people in that Judicial Nomination Committee that called Allison Asty selfish for running and getting elected, okay? There are a lot of lawyers who won't apply to be a circuit court judge because they don't want to have to run and go out in the public and run for office, a lot of them, okay? Which is why you have a lot more who apply for district court judgeships. It's not a question of qualification, and it's not objective that these people went through were the best, okay, whatever that means. Because how were they the best? Maybe they were the best under, under varying criteria. I'm not saying that I deserve to be there more than Rob Thompson, let's say, but taking that as an example, objectively, how is he more qualified than me? And, and does the opinion of, you know, the LGBT uh, Bar Association as to qualification, should that matter more than your opinion as a voter who lives in the county? Under the, under the current commission process, it does. I have to tell you. And I have no idea what they said about me because their opinion goes to the commission, but we never hear it. Lots of, some, some, yeah. some we get, some we don't. That's just an inside thing, okay? Um, so I, that's why we have it, and that's why I think here in Anne Arundel County we have a tradition of electing uh, challenger vote. Now, when it's a Democrat governor, especially a Democratic governor from outside of the county, who's making very political appointees, and and you know Glenn Denning and um, um, O'Malley Valley. were very political in their appointees. Ehrlich was very scrupulous in trying to just pick the best person. You can argue that. I think the governor, Governor Hogan, also tries to do that, but there's no question that. And I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, even though it's perfectly clear 
that the list of that there were a lot of boxes that had to be checked for the circuit court vacancies that were filled for the folks who are running for re-election now. Okay? This governor's been criticized for years that there weren't enough of A, B, C, and D on the bench. And it's not a surprise that the nominations and the people who were ultimately appointed checked off a lot of those boxes. It's not a coincidence. Okay? I was told point blank when I applied, you know, a couple of those spots are saved for ABC. And if you're okay with that, fine. But again, don't tell me this is the best person gets the job. Okay. And I'm not saying I was a better person. I am not saying that. It's not better, bitter grapes. I would have been saying this if I'd never applied. You know that, Brian, because I've talked about this issue. For- no, that's true. Yeah, this is, you've been on this beat for right. forever. And the fact, and the fact is, if I'm going to be perfectly candid because we're going out now, the fact that I was part of Red Maryland and did this and have talked about judicial elections for years was absolutely used against me. Oh, absolutely. My conservative political view absolutely was used against me. You know, the Monumental Bar Association knew all about my views on marijuana when I interviewed with them. I know that the interviewer from the Maryland State Bar Association was asking people about uh, stuff I'd written about Red Maryland to, to people that I had put down as, as uh, references. So I know that my open political views were used against me in a process. Ostensibly, the, so, so, you know, if you think the governor who we've been big supporters of, controls this process and is a political process, again, you're being terribly, terribly naive. Um, if I really yeah, wanted if right. I really wanted to be a judge, I would have been a lot smarter, and I think you can see some examples that prove me right, if I'd kept my mouth shut, kept my head down, made the right donations to the right people along the way, um, I, I probably would have a better chance of being a judge. Not necessarily, because there's still some people who've done that and don't get it either, uh, who are perfectly qualified. But, you know, and and look, I'm not not saying vote for Wes Adams or whatever. Wes Adams has his own problems, frankly. We've been critical of him in the past as well. But um, don't take your ability to vote for circuit court judges for granted. And don't believe that those who... And I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I don't care. <clears throat> don't assume that because people went through this process that they're either more qualified or more capable of being circuit court judges than, frankly, anybody else who 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 has applied for that job. Period. Whether they've gone there through the go. process or not. There you go. So, and vote accordingly. Yeah, there's plenty of. I'm just saying, Greg. There's plenty of time to uh, petition your name at the general election ballot. No. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I'm by the way, I'm not, say, by the way I'm not saying that I'm not voting for the sitting judges. I just want to be clear on that. Right. I, I would say the same thing whether I voted for the sitting judges or not. I, I, I would have some serious reservation about voting for Wes Adams because of some of the things he's done and some of the people he's employed. Okay? So don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I, I, I'm saying don't take it for granted or assume just because the sitting judges went through this process they're the most qualified. You should make that decision on your own. Your criteria for who or what is qualified and makes a good judge is every bit as valid and as political and as subjective as the folks who sit on that nominating committee. Period. There you go. I'm still writing in Greg Clyde in November. Well, that would be wasting your vote. That would be wasting your vote. But I can vote my conscience, and that's what's important. 
Good. Um, I support let's the talk judges. I am. I welcome our new. I'm kidding. Most of them are going to still be <laughs> judges. See, that's the thing. Now, see, now I'm joking here, but let's not lose sight of no, this. No, you're not joking. Most this of those guys are still going to be judges. So if you're a yeah. lawyer, if you're a practicing litigating lawyer, and you go against, which I am not doing now, just to be clear, just making a general point, if you go against them, you're going to end up in front of them. And, you know, I'm not saying they would do anything untoward, but um, you'd be a fool if you don't think judges are human beings. So if you want to understand why no, lawyers no. line up and the establishment lines up behind the sitting judges. There you go. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, probably guaranteed I'll never be a judge. But that's okay. I was never going to be anyway. So, yeah, if you didn't get it now, I'm I'm not sure it would have gotten any better for you in the future. No. Um, there are school board races in Anne Arundel County. There are school board races lots of places. I know that our uh, our stories, our candidate surveys with yeah. school board candidates have gotten a lot of attention because there's so little coverage of this race. Uh, I know you're not in the school district. Our good friend Scott Schaefer uh, is running in six. Uh, Corinne Frank running in three in Anne Arundel County. County. Both. Red Maryland endorsed candidates, so please get that vote from him. Look, school board races are important, okay, because a lot of the candidates that are going to get endorsed by your local paper or by the PTA or whatever are the union candidates. Yeah. And don't think for a second that if you're not vigilant about this, that some phony baloney union candidate is not going to get through and elected in Washington County or Garrett County or something like that because they're running unaffiliated. So you're not going to be able to see on the ballot what their positions are. It's why we have done the work for you or tried to do the work for you. Try to at, help you uh, do at it. Red you, Maryland. You still got to do a little bit. And don't take those, you know, I know Brian and I don't because we live here in Arizona County. We've fought for an elected school board for so long. But don't take those races for granted. Those are important races. Do the do the work. Do the yeah. Encourage others to do the same as well. And, and believe me, th- those kind of races are the ones where – you posting on Facebook who you're voting for will be influential because a lot of people who will go to the polls have no idea who these races are down ballot and things like that are helpful. Uh, that's where, you know, kind yes. of the social media activism really does pay off in a very overt, helpful way. So, you know, absolutely much more helpful than most of the memes you're posting right now saying, hey, I'm voting for so and so for, you know, board. Board of Education, if you live in Frederick County at large or you live in this district in Anne Arundel County or wherever, you should vote for them, too. That's good political activism. Indeed. Indeed. Last but not least, the Baltimore City mayoral election. Yes. Um, do you think the Republican here's the first side? Oh, oh, do the Republican side. OK, go ahead. Republican side. I think everything was summed up by uh, the Baltimore Sun roundup about those candidates where i realized that my four-year-old daughter has more cash on hand than the entire republican field for mayor um which is a sad commentary um i don't think it matters ultimately obviously i think shannon wright will win the primary i think um i saw that catalina bird did an interview with charles robinson of mpt i wonder if she hung up on him i'm gonna guess probably not um the uh, the Democratic primary. I have no idea what's going to happen there, Greg. Here's the question: Do you think I, we'll I, have? It's so hard to figure out. Do you think we'll have a winner declared by the time we do our last show next week? I think 
I yes. would bet the and under. And I say that because I would bet the under on. We're going to have You would bet the under? Okay. Yeah, I don't think I we're going to have that, a, an answer. I think we're going to have a we may not have a declared winner. I think we're going to know who's going to win. Um but I don't think we'll have an official winner because I I think there will probably be enough ballots outstanding that we can't kind of kind of write it off for certain it depends you could have a race where first place and seventh place are 600 votes apart you're absolutely right i mean i don't think anybody has any clue what's going to happen here if this race were um i mean i i think that the morning line favorite would be sheila dixon just based solely on name identification i think she would be an overwhelming favorite if there was a uh if there was a get out to vote operation at least a uh you know, at, at least a, uh, um, yeah, you, you know, at least a, a substantial one with with actual physical polls. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I look. The other thing is, we're are we going to have all new heights of shenanigans going on in you know novel uh, electioneering um, strategies? If you follow my meaning, I mean, how how low in a race that's this competitive and this high stakes? Uh, with this many people involved, what won't some of these candidates do? Who, who, by the way, some of whom have clearly shown a propensity for corruption. Yeah. Um, what won't they do? I think that's really, that's really going to be kind of interesting as well. And who controls the people who count the votes? You know, the old Stalin line: it doesn't matter who votes; it matters who counts the votes. Uh, if this thing is close, is going to be, and we know that office is, you know completely messed up um yeah. under normal circumstances so i i think even if you had a a clear winner you're not going to have somebody who's going to be uh, forget a mandate i think you're gonna have somebody who's not going to be uh, what's the word legitimate Incredible. legitimate no. legitimate i don't think you're going to have a legitimate winner that people will acknowledge legitimately won this when it's over i think it will be and that don't bad. forget you're still going to have you know, unlike most years, there is an independent who's trying to get on the ballot who is going to apparently be sufficiently funded. Um, yeah. So unlike most years where every, you know it's rally around the flag, you're going to have a bruised Democrat who has maybe 80 percent of the Democratic electorate didn't vote for them. Right. Um, you know, trying to run against them. And, and, and don't don't un- underestimate the fact that there are a lot of pissed off people in Baltimore City who right. may not be necessarily the type of people who show up and return a ballot for a democratic primary where there's no major race on the ballot other than mayor. I think there's enough, there's enough reason to think that Miller, I think Miller's the guy's name, if I remember correctly, um, can at least make some noise and give people a choice, which unfortunately it's very clear that the Republican nominee is not going to be able to run a credible campaign, whoever it is to give people that voice. Yeah. Seven people running to again, be the tallest midget in the room and probably finish in third place. Well, if you're not going to raise, which again, a, if you're not going to raise, a God loves them. God loves them. Some people for doing it because you know we don't want you know it, it's better to have a nominee than not have a nominee. But seven Republicans running for mayor when we have so many, uh, you know, where we have so many central com- uh, city council races where we couldn't find a Republican to run. Yeah, you know, come on. I, I, I Greg, know. let's bring this ship. Let's oh, go do ahead. That. No, you're right. And look. Again, if you want to be serious, you have to you, you talked about having a plan and running a serious campaign. I mean, you you know, you can get mad at us all you want, but if you're this is a city of 
300,000 people. How many people live in this city now? Um, 600. You know, hundreds of thousands of people live in the city. Tens of thousands of them will be voting come this November for a mayor. Uh, if you don't have any money, how are you going to campaign to people like that? How do you how how are you credibly going to, to do anything? You know, putting up some signs and going on Facebook um, is not a campaign. Nope. Um, you know, so I don't no. I don't necessarily applaud people who just want to, you know, get a name on a ballot. I mean, your, your intentions don't matter. You have to you have to understand this is something we've harped about and we've only got a couple more shows to harp about it. If you want to win, you have to understand the science of electoral politics. You have to understand the nuts and bolts of how people get elected, how people choose, how people cast votes and what they do and how you win doing that. You can be really smart and innovative and surprise and upset the the conventional wisdom and do things people don't think is possible if you understand how it actually works. If you don't and you just you know, want to see your name in the paper, which unfortunately some of these candidates, that seems to be all they want to do is post in Republican pages on Facebook and and so forth. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to you're not really doing anything. And frankly, I'm not going to waste my time talking about it anymore, Brian. Well, you might next week because next week. It's it. It's the it. plug gets pulled. That's it. That's We're it. done. We're out of here after next week. Um, so next week's show, let's preview next week's show. Okay. Right. We've got two very simple things. Okay. We're going to recap the primary results. Right. And then we're going to do a retrospective. One might even call it a retro spectacle of the 13 year existence of red Maryland as uh, where we've been both as a, a, as us, as a, as an organization, as the conservative movement, and uh, what legacy uh, we leave behind and kind of where things might go in the future. So that's it next week. It'll be two hours, most ten, probably 10 minutes of election recap, and uh, an hour and 50 minutes of Planet Us. Okay. I mean, you kind of knew that. Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> don't sound so enthusiastic. <laughs> I don't know what else we can say that we have. I mean, we will. We'll fill the time. But I, I guess if we're going to do one last show, it's it's inevitable that that's what it would that's what it would be. I mean, I you know the results aren't going to be. Assuming we have complete results to share, that's um, true. You know, I think this preview kind of shows there. A lot of them. I shouldn't say that. We'll we'll, we'll cover them. <laughs> we'll I don't give, know where you. We'll are give going them with the that? attention that they deserve, and then okay. we will then we will bid f- farewell and. In our own way, and if you enjoyed what we've done over the last thirteen years, then uh, hopefully you'll come in and listen. And if you don't, then you're probably not listening anyway. If you want to, yeah, if you just want to hate us as we're going out, there are plenty of people board. who hate watch us over the years. That That's wouldn't fine. be a surprise. That's fine. Uh, I will promise next week I will be in my regular setup and yes. will have a a reliable internet connection. That's right. Good. So that you can you can look forward to that. Um, <laughs> um, thank you everybody for watching redmaryland.com you only got seven more days to look for new articles on redmaryland.com so be yes. sure to look at that check out my piece about Calvin Ball's band Mark Unkefer's got a great piece about uh, the the, uh, the pension 
Um, so we've got that to, you got that over there at redmaryland.com. Right. Please share this with your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, co-religious in-laws and outlaws. Um, please share with them our primary election coverage. Yes. All of our candidate surveys, all of our news yes. stories, all of our interviews. If anybody the, ever uh, asks you related to the primary if, election, if anybody ever asks you, who should I vote for? We've done as much work as we possibly can do to put that information together. Redmaryland.com. Click on the 2020 tab. Share that. Let people know. Okay, because there are a lot of people who are going to walk into a polling place and they may know this or that or the other, but they're not going to know. They're not going to know some of those races down ballot. And this is this is why we've stayed open as long as we have. This is this is one of the most important things that we do. You all have told us that. So please, 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 this is the last time I'll beg you to do anything. Share that stuff. Let people know. Indeed. Uh, Facebook.com slash Red and Twitter at Red We're still getting people following us on Twitter, which is fascinating. Um, yeah, I'm but, sure we will uh, after we close, too, until we shut those down. But, yeah, people yeah, are going to be listening. So, the good uh, news is there's a trove of, you know, almost 2,000 podcasts that you can listen to. This is the first time you're listening to us. There's a catalog. That's people. true. That's true. Um, Greg, any final thoughts for today? Um, have a safe trip back, number one. Enjoy Thank your you. time away. Uh, everybody be safe and uh, vote if you haven't vote if you want to. I'm not necessarily somebody who says you have to vote. Um, but it, but if you do vote, do yourself a favor. Get informed. Make sure you know who you're voting for, whoever it is. And a uh, good way to do that, redmaryland.com. Click the 2020 election tab. Thank you. And if you do want to share any final thoughts as we uh, as we bring this uh, in for final approach next week, uh, redmaryland at gmail.com, or you can call or text a message, uh, 410-205-4875 to yeah. the Red Maryland talkback number. And um, like I said, we are seven days away from landing this plane for the last time, for pulling this into port. So decommissioning the ship, if you will. Um, riding off into I the will. sunset. Whatever cliche you want. Insert cliche here, yes. 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 So for everybody here, thank you very much for listening and watching. For Greg Klein, I am Brian Gervis. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network.